All right, well, good morning. It's kind of different. I'm trying to see if I can see some of your faces. There's a few of you smiling out there. I'm not roaming around as much today because I tweaked my back, you know, my typical, I have that lazy back that decides it wants to work when it decides to work. And uh, it's deciding it's time to not work. <laughs> so this morning you may be asking and, and wanting to know how do we deal with the things going on in our world I hope that you realize that in all the information we keep giving you as a church, it keeps pointing back to who God is, to who God is. And that's the title of our message is dealing with the fact that true confidence comes through the gospel in the face of uncertain times. True confidence in the face of uncertainty. How do we have true confidence? Well, it points to God and it points to his work. That's what the gospel is. It's God's work. There are times when we're going to feel like everything has just fallen apart. And how do we respond to that? And so that's kind of some of the things that we want to answer. And uh, if you are on the, the Facebook site, you'll notice that I've been putting up messages that answer and talk about certain verbiage that you might hear on the news and how to deal with it in a very biblical way. I put up, I put up those people that I know that love God's word more than anything. So the people that I, that I will put up on Facebook and on the different uh, sites associated with the church have to do with answering the, our cultural times. And it all points back to the Lord and God's work. This morning in Psalm chapter 3, we see a very personal cry. David, just like Rob talked to us last week, David is talking to himself and he's talking to God. He, he switches from a talk to himself, to a prayer to God, to singing praises to God. That's the kind of the progression of the Psalms. And so we want to look at God's answer and how the gospel affects us during times of uncertainty. When our soul is being crushed, when we don't understand. Who understand, kids, adults? Those who seek the Lord. And I ask that, and ask that as we start this, would you pray with me as we go through our study of Psalm 3 and may the Holy Spirit guide you and give you great wisdom and encouragement as we think about what God has done for us through his work of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak. Lord, I pray that you would remove my words, my, uh, my stumbling, that it would not be a stumbling block for the hearers, but Lord, that your spirit would speak to our hearts today, that we would be guided by the goodness of the news that you, what you do, that it doesn't depend upon our society. It doesn't depend 
upon our work. But Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you have given us. And we pray that you would teach us and instruct us today. We thank you for your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very personal, intimate call by David. He cries out to the Lord, a personal cry. Listen to the description of David's traumatic situation. This setting in the psalm is David has fled. He's fled the kingdom. He's fled the confines of of the capital, of living in in the quarters of the king, in wealth. He has fled and he's left. He's been removed. The fact, though, is, is that David, prior to this, Absalom brought news of a tragic event between his brother and sister. That tragic event led to the very fact that Absalom did not like the way that David handled the situation. So much so that Absalom rebelled against his father. That's when it began. He said, I can do better. My justice is better. And so he focused on the fact, just like what we're hearing today in our world, in our culture. He took it upon himself to say that I can do it better. And so he rebelled against David. By the way, so he spread. He didn't start by just attacking his dad. He started by coming and and talking behind the scenes to a bunch of military leaders so he could build a military coup. He started by spreading rumors about David, and he drew people away from the king. That's what's going on. And so as David is writing this, he's realizing that more and more of people that he thought loved him and would help him and encourage him were leaving him in droves. So first of all, we see in verses 1 and 2 that David's adversaries were increasing in number. He always had enemies, he knew that, but the ranks were growing exponentially. Things were snowballing out of control. Like a dam that first leaks when it suddenly bursts, a raging torrent of water is flooding over David as he sees people coming up against him. And it sweeps over David to the point where it touches the anguish of his soul. The second thing we see in verse 2 is is that David, reporting from David's own words, is that they were imputing his relationship with God. They They were taunting him. And their words of taunt were hurting his soul. Their words to David were this, that there is no deliverance for him in God. God will not deliver him. And now you you can only imagine that they were throwing back at David, David's very public sin. They were probably tormenting David with saying, you remember what he did with Bathsheba? Remember what he did with Bathsheba's husband? Oh, yeah, see, he... God will not help him. He's a hypocrite. He's a scoundrel. He's worse than any of us. 
You can only imagine what they were taunting David with when they were saying, David will not be saved by God. God is not on the side of such a phony. Can you imagine how David is feeling? I mean, he's telling us. But we see that today where people ridicule us as believers and they taunt us and and they are saying crazy things. I've seen street preachers trying to walk through downtown Seattle and being ridiculed because they use the name Jesus. Telling preachers what Jesus would and wouldn't do and throwing it in the face of a dear brother in Christ. If all the trials which come from heaven and all the temptation which accost us from hell and all the crosses which arise on earth for us to bear, all of this could be mixed and pressed together and then they would not make a trial so terrible as which is contained and described in this verse. It is the worst afflictions of all to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. He's wondering, is God really going to help me? When people that you have cared for and prayed for begin to slander your motives, it really begins to dig deep and hurt. You know, David is telling this to God and not even though God, you know, David is telling God, he's crying out to God and think about this. Does God know this? Yes. He's, David's not telling God because he, God doesn't know. God knows all the details. David tells him what's going on. And this is important to understand what's going on here. He's not informing God about details, but rather he's laying his burden before the Lord. You know what I mean? He's casting his cares before the Lord. This is what's on his heart. Folks, when you're struggling and there's a deep hurt in your heart, you know that God knows, but God still wants you to lay it before his feet. David is acknowledging to God that he is not able in himself to handle this overwhelming situations. We can look at David's life and Elijah's life, Jonah's life, Paul's life. How about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers? Every night would go to his room depressed. He faced a lot of physical infirmities. How about John Bunyan? wrote Pilgrim's Progress and the and struggled with a lot of introspective thinking. Martin Luther, a man <laughs> with an intense family history of intense anxiety and depression. All of it drew every one of these men closer to the Lord. When life falls apart in uncertain times, in depressive times, and anxiety, you must know who God is and how to lay a hold of him in prayer. But do you notice in verse 3 in our text, if you have your Bibles open, it says, it starts with that great conjunction. 
But you know what that means? It means all of this is true, verses 1 and 2. This is how David is feeling. But this is also true. Starting in verse 3. It cancels out. Do you notice? Do you know that? When you say the word but in a sentence, it cancels everything else before it. This is an amazing statement. David is choosing to talk to himself. And one part, David is being driven by his emotions and his fears. And he's crying out to the Lord and laying it down at his feet. But there's this other part, starting here in verse 3, the part of David that is rooted in true reality of the gospel. And here, and I want you to see the root or the results of being rooted in the reality of the gospel. And this is a question for you. As David turns in verse 3 and says, but the Lord. Is the gospel good news of God's work in your life rooted in the daily reality of your life? Is it really there? Because that's what David turns to in verse 3. But you, O Lord, by the way, the Lord there is Yahweh, the great I am, the God that is, the God that will always be, that has always existed, the all-powerful one. Yahweh, you are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. And we see five major things. I left off the fifth one. You'll have to add it in. It's a little extra for you this morning. Number one, the Lord is our shield. The reality of the gospel is when we are in the family of God, we have accepted, Christ has accepted us based on the fact of our repentance. The Lord is our shield. The shield is the faith. It's a part of our spiritual armor. By the way, it first occurred, the word of first occurred to Abraham when God said that he will be Abraham's shield as he moves to the promised land. It also occurs great frequency all through the Psalms. It literally means this. It means that God is our protector and our defender. When we come to the Lord and we respond to the gospel and God saves us, the good news is that we no longer have to protect ourselves. God is our shield. Remember that when you look at all the crazy things going on. We don't have to defend ourselves. God is the all-powerful, all-sustaining one, the all-knowing one. His plan never fails. He is the great defender. He shields us from every attack. We don't understand how much he truly shields. I want you to note that David personalized this in verse 3. He says, it is about me. The shield is around me. It's an all-encompassing shield. It surrounds him. Our faith in the Lord must be personal. David is portraying great confidence that God will be the buffer around him during this great time of conflict and disaster. Even though his heart is low, it's weighted down, his soul is in anguish, he still knows the reality is 
that God is his shield. Look at the second thing. He says, the Lord is our glory. The Lord is his glory. I say that sounds weird because the Lord doesn't share his glory. So how is the Lord David's glory? How is the Lord, because of the gospel, our glory? Well, this is what he's saying. The word glory is associated with dignity, wealth, and high position. It involves respect, reference, uh, respect and reverence from others. Sometimes it refers to an object as being worthy of all respect. That sounds like God, right? Here's the thing. Although David had great earthly acclaim, they were praising him in the streets when he slew David or slew Goliath, right? He was the giant killer. Remember, he was the one that destroyed the armies of the Philistines. Before all of this had happened, he had great acclamation. He had accolades upon accolades. They were praising his name. But he acknowledges and that he identifies with the Lord and that the Lord's glory is the only thing that matters. When the Lord, he basically understood that when the Lord would restore David to a place of earthly prominence, God was his glory. It wasn't his accolades. It wasn't the byproduct of his doing. It was all the Lord's glory. His position in this world was not based on his circumstance, but on the glory of the Lord. This term, the Lord's glory, points to being comparatively unimportant to earthly self-esteem, which is always transient and fickle. You look at what's going on in the world and they say, this is what we want, but it always changes. Self-esteem is transient. It comes, it goes, it's fickle. But David was counting on God's glory, not his own. As Christians... We get to share in Christ's glory, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, which leads to the third point of the reality of the gospel. When we're living out the reality of the gospel in our life, the Lord is the restorer of our joy. He says he's the lifter of our head. To lift up the head is a Hebrew expression of restoring someone who is cast down so someone who is cast down from a dignified position, he's saying that the Lord is the one who will lift my head. The Lord is the one that will restore me. The Lord is the one who does the work. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Do you remember he rose in promise? He went from being a slave to be sold into slavery into Egypt. And then he became one of the chief uh, servants in the house of, of Potiphar. And from there, he began to rule over the whole household. And then he got falsely accused. And because he got falsely accused, he got thrown into prison. Where is Joseph's glory? Where is Joseph's rights? Where is everything that Joseph deserved? He didn't deserve any of that. Where is Joseph's justice? Remember Joseph told the cupbearer in, in Genesis chapter 40, he said, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You remember that's exactly what ended up happening to Joseph. That happened to the cupbearer first, and then it happened to Joseph. And he became the second in command next to Pharaoh. 
Folks, when by way of application, this refers to God restoring us to the joy that we had before any crisis brought us low. Don't worry. It's not about your works. It's about God lifting up your head. He humbles the proud, but he lifts up the humble who cry out to him. He brings joy to those he restores. David knew this. But in verse 4, we turn, he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from the holy hill. The Lord is our advocate. Fourthly, the Lord is our advocate. He not only restores our joy, he lifts up our head. When we turn to the Lord, when we seek the Lord, it's the Lord that lifts up our head. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that our society does. It's the Lord that does that. And when he does that, we realize that we have an advocate. This is big because David was cast out of the kingdom. He, let, he was thrown out of the kingdom. He was running for his life, and it was because of the rebellion of his son. And he says, but that's okay because I know I have an advocate that is in heaven. It's not about who sits on the earthly throne. It's about who's in heaven. David's crying to the Lord with his voice, and he, do, and he does not express a single act, but a, but a habit of a life. Spurgeon tells us that this is David crying out habitually to the Lord because he knows that he has an advocate in the Lord. It, this may remind you of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 when God says, My little children, I am writing these things to you in order that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. How about this? John 14, 16. Jesus said, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate in order that he may be with you. You have an advocate that is with you no matter what. No one in this world can take that away. David knew that. How about John 14, 26? But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that that one will teach you all things. Not only will God give you the advocate who will be with you forever, but the advocate will teach you what you need. Don't worry about how to deal with this situation. If you seek the Lord, he will give you understanding and through the power of the Holy Spirit will teach you what you need to know. How about John 15, 26? When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, that one will testify about me. God will send you the advocate and testify about Christ. He's going to testify about the gospel. He's going to testify about all the good things that you have because of the gospel. Church, no matter where you're at or in what kind of difficulty or circumstances you find yourself, even if you, even if you are having difficulties because of the results of some sin or some failure in your life, we can cry out to the Lord for grace and know that he will hear. He will answer according to his great purpose and the richness of his grace. If you're following along in verse 5, David writes a stunning thing. 
And that is the fifth aspect of the gospel, and that is the Lord sustains us. The Lord perseveres us, holds us in his hand. He said, David said, I lay down in sleep. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. David is proclaiming, I went to sleep. I can lay down and go to sleep. David is not anxious. David is not worried. He's not concerned. He's not apprehensive. He's not fearful. He's not uneasy. He's not perturbed. He's not troubled. He's not bothered. He's not disturbed, distressed. He's not fretting. He's not agitated. He's not nervous. He's not on edge. He's not tense. He's not all worked up. He's not afraid. David has laid his head down because he simply knows that the Lord will sustain him. David lays his head down to sleep knowing that the hard circumstances that surround him that are weighing down his soul are in God's great, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sustaining hands. God will sustain you. God will sustain you. That is the power of the gospel. As we close, I want to give you David's response and our response. Because of time, I'll read through these pretty fast. But I want to encapsulate David's full response because of what he knows to be true about God. You can go back and watch the live stream because it'll be recorded and it'll be on uh, both the Facebook, uh, the the church website, and the YouTube channel, and you can get, and you can re-listen to it and and pause it. Here's David's response: one of true confidence in the face of uncertainty. It's one of reflection. His response was one of reflection. He remembered the way that God had taken care of him always and still will. It was not only one of reflection, but it was one of resolution, of a resolution statement of his heart. He determined to think in the light of God's past care and current care and that God will sustain him in all future care. It was a resolute statement. I am going to be sustained. God is my salvation. God's reaction in response to his circumstances was one of prayer. He cried out to God in the midst of his struggles, not only one of prayer, but one of trust. He laid his head down, ultimate trust, and trusting that God would raise his head back up. And ultimately, David's response and our response should be that salvation is from the Lord. It is God's work. He alone can save us from our sins. This is the this tells us the richness and the blessing of God's great salvation. Salvation is God's property. He willed it, he provided it, he holds it, he gives it according to his sovereign purpose. It it is his deliverance from every peril. It's his exaltation to the heights of the heavens. So the question is, what is your response today because of whatever is going on in your life? However, whatever struggles because of the circumstances we face today. 
Well, what is your response to the negative situations? Well, there are two responses. There's one that's based on just the natural human thought, and then there's one that's based on the gospel. A natural response that we could have would be our mind processes the situation. We begin to think about it. We process it. Then the second part is our, our emotion begin to dominate. Our emotions take over and dominate our inner thoughts, which results usually because when the emotions dominate in making wrong choices that are driven solely by our emotions rather than truth. It's driven by the facts of our time rather than the truth and reality of who God is. Let me say that again. Many things we see today are driven by facts that have been created or produced, which in turn affect our emotions and our thinking, which drive us. And we're no longer thinking about the truth of who God is, which leads us deeper descent into negative thinking. And as that negative thinking descends, it descends into more negative emotions, which leads to even more bad choices. That's the natural response. We can see that on TV in the news. But how about the biblical or the gospel response? Well, just like the natural response, our mind processes the situation, correct? As a believer, if we're thinking about the gospel, we think about the process and our emotions kick in. God gave us emotions and they kick in whether it's fear or whether it's anxiety or worry or whether there are some things that pop on, pop into our life, we have a natural emotions and they begin to dominate our thinking. But, remember the word but cancels everything, but here's where gospel thinking takes over. We choose to bring our thoughts under the authority of God's word, under his scripture, under gospel thinking, we choose to give, rather than giving authority to our emotions, we give authority to God. We specifically and purposefully focus our attention on what is true. It is a perfect or a purposeful resolution. We have a resolute thought that we are not going to abandon God's truth, but we are going to abandon natural, humanistic, earthly thinking. That, so when we do that, it naturally corrects our emotions. Correct biblical thinking by the power of the Holy Spirit. God begins to lead our emotions. Are your emotions leading you or is God leading your emotions? There's a huge difference. One that is determined by the reality of the gospel being lived out in your life. But God begins to lead my emotions until my emotions and thoughts are brought into a healthy position. Psalm 3 is all about the gospel. It's all about David realizing what he had, the reality of who God is, and what he had because of the very work of God in his life. Folks, when you go to bed tonight... When you get up in the morning, are you focused on the reality of what God has done in your life? I mean, look at verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
It's his work. Blessings come through God's work. Where do we find understanding? Where do we find confidence? Those who seek the Lord. Where are you at today? I trust that you're relying on who God is and what God has done in your life. Philippians 1.6, he encourages us even more that he who began this good work, the work of salvation, will continue to perform it till the day of Christ. Christ is coming. He's returning. His return is very soon. Just look at the world around us. Are you longing for Christ? Seek the Lord as David sought the Lord. Lay your heart before him and let God lead your emotions and he will give you understanding for the times in which we live. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing gift, the good news that, Lord, we are all sinners. We are all filthy. There is no good works. There's none of us that can compare to you. You alone are holy. Lord, in our filthiness, you have redeemed us by the work of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he did that to replace our sinful deeds with his righteous deeds. His holiness will cover us through the power of the cross. He became our propitiation. He literally stood between our filthy wickedness so that way we would not receive your full wrath. But he took upon the wrath, your wrath, to satisfy the holy demand of our sin, of our filthy deeds. And he took all that to the cross. And he conquered death and he rose again. He became our righteousness. He redeemed us through his precious blood. He purchased us. He redeemed us. He saved us from our sins. Lord, I pray that all of us here have responded to that. We've repented and say, yes, I am that. I am filthy. I need your righteousness. I need your work. And we call upon the name of the Lord for our salvation. And we rely upon his work. And because of that, that you, Lord, would save many May the Holy Spirit be working in all of our lives and that we would all live in the reality of the gospel, that good news of which you have done for us through the power of the cross, through Jesus' name. May you give us great strength because of what you are doing continually in our life, not because of what we see or feel because of our circumstances today. But may we rely on your great name. May we praise you and worship you and call upon you for great help in this time in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.